Welcome back to the What's Your Wilmore podcast. I'm your host, Quentin Harris, back for episode 92 as we broke this into two parts here. I'm joined today with my co-host and co-host, Daniel Halverson. Thanks for joining us on the show today. Yeah, good to be back, man. Well, so hey, as we move into the last part of this uh, lending update, and this is a part that's probably the bulk of the show that we talked about was, you know, are, is the interest rate picture starting to improve and are there signs of improvement other than, you know, the Federal Reserve moving short-term interest rates down or up, right? So what is the other thing they're trying to tackle besides inflation with their monetary policy right now? Well, the short answer is jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've spent a lot of time in the lending update talking about inflation and reason being inflation is the primary driver of mortgage rates. Um, but I think that where the job picture comes into play here is the you know, people, the, the investors that are buying mortgage-backed securities, um, the big institutional investors that are in, in the bond market, they are basically saying, hey, we don't think that um, interest rates are going to come down until the jobs picture changes. Mm-hmm. And And I think that most people have really come to the conclusion that the Federal Reserve wants to see jobs lost. Correct. Now, the question is, do they want to see jobs lost and still find a way for a soft landing? Or do they want uh, to go full-blown bonkers, this is 1970s inflation and we need massive job losses before we're done? So that's the part that we don't know. Um, and one thing that people, I mean, I wasn't alive when that era took place. I know you weren't. But uh, guys, I don't even think you even realize the Federal Reserve was raising rates at such a rapid rate. They were raising rate on a 48-hour schedule. Like, it was not like every six weeks. They were doing it on the weekend. They were doing it, you know, next 48 hours. Like, it was a rapid increase, which is vastly different than what we're dealing with right now. It's a little bit of a shock to all of us over the last 20 years to see it go at this level. But, I mean, in the they have set a precedent in the past. They're not afraid. You know, different committee, of course, but their policy is they can raise it whenever they want to. So when you talk about going bonkers, I mean, he literally means like every 48 hours they were raising interest rates, much different than what they're doing right now. Yeah, and I think that when I say that the markets are waiting for that, we've, we've talked about this before, but basically the spread between the 10-year treasury and mortgage rates, it's about 300 basis points right now. Historically, that's 150 to 200 basis points. Oh which means that rates should be a good mortgage rate should be a good bit lower if the spreads were normal. And that's where speaking. and that's where I'm saying the markets do not want to to buy those bonds and we won't see those rates come down until they get a clear picture on exactly what the Fed's stance is on what they want to see happen with the job market. Mm-hmm. And I think that right now the markets are kind of calling the Fed's bluff here and saying, yeah. "Hey, we're not we don't know what your stance is on on how much pain you want to create. So until we know that, we're going to kind of trade in this range, and we're going to have these elevated spreads between the ten year and mortgage backed securities. Mm-hmm. But you know, the the month of August, if you just look at where the month started, where the month ended, rates were relatively flat. They came down a little bit, really not even an eighth of a percent in rate. So if a, a buyer was shopping rates on August 1, they probably got quoted the exact same rate they got quoted on August 31st. But in the middle of the month, we saw rates go basically to 7.5%, which was the highest they've been since December of 2000. That's an important number, by the way. So we saw rates go higher than they have in 23 years in between there, and then we started to see some relief on the backside of the month Mm -hmm. that made that look a little bit better than lenders were feeling, you know, a week and a half prior. Um, You know, the reality is inflation relatively flat. Headline inflation went up marginally, went up from 3% to 3.2% in the month of August. Core inflation came down a little bit, um, 
but like I said, at this point, I'm of the impression inflation's really not going to be the, the primary driver. It's going to be what happens with the job market, and that's going to dictate the path forward. Is that a sign, though, that inflation could be going back up as we replace we've re- we're replacing such low metrics that it, it might be normal to see it tick up just a little bit here? And from a consumer standpoint, what does that mean to the consumer at the grocery store, Dan? What does that mean to them? Are they going to expect to see prices level off, continue going up? Like, what, what are they going to see? I mean, in, in my opinion, the energy costs came down considerably, which is really what accelerated headline inflation coming down so much. Mm-hmm. So core inflation's been a little bit slower to come down. It's come down by far less and much slower because energy prices don't get factored into that. So I would argue that the the consumer probably noticed no meaningful difference in inflation over the course of the last month. Yeah. Um, and, and really, I mean, the the reading that we replaced was so low, the markets didn't care one bit that inflation went up by two-tenths of a percent on the headline this month because the markets can understand okay, well, we're just replacing a low reading. The Where did the actual inflation numbers come in at mm-hmm. for the month? So we use this term called rolling recessions, right? That means each sector is seeing a recession as it rolls, right? You might have, let's say you might have the auto industry or you might have the service and food industry, but these are rolling sectors. Do you think there could be a rolling inflation sector as well? Uh, we're so, certain instances they've already experienced and they've seen the inflation in there, but then there's another sector that's kind of adding it in right now and using it as an excuse or maybe using it as a, as a reality as to why their costs are going up. Uh, and I say that because I think it's interesting. I, was, I think I was talking with Charlie on one of our last shows, but like, have you noticed now some of your providers, like your monthly providers have this uptick? Hey, you know, they're just, they're just even if it's like a dollar on your monthly fee, it's gone up. And it's, it's gone up as almost like it's just a, it's a leverage to inflation and what's going to cost of provider or cost of whatever. But you see these these rolling sectors of these these monthly annuities or excuse me, not annuities, but monthly costs going up, uh, monthly charges, especially on subscribers. That's where I'm really seeing it on the subscriber charges. I mean, it's definitely possible. I mean, you look at used, used cars were a huge driver of inflation earlier mm-hmm. in the year. These numbers were going up 4% per month. Uh, that's that's corrected itself. Yep. Um, so that you see these little pockets of inflation going up. Energy prices, we were the beneficiary of that. They're starting to come up a little bit. I think that's something the markets are a little concerned about in the report that we'll get here mm-hmm. next week. Um, so you're going to see ebb, ebb and flow in inflation on, on certain sectors. Um, but the markets didn't really care about the inflation this last month because we're replacing a low reading. It's really not a meaningful change. And the the numbers came in as expected. Yeah. So inflation didn't come thing. in hotter than the month than they were expecting for the month. Yeah, I think that's the big thing. So, so you know, as we kind of move out of the inflationary talk into the employment talk, this is the one that I'm just the most confused about. I'm really hoping you can help explain it for the audience here because I, I can't for the life of me understand how the ADP report is off so much. <laughs> and it's not even close to being, I mean, it's literally, I think I could close in my eye and throw a, a, a dart at the wall with a bunch of numbers on it and land on a better option than what they provide. And then when it comes to the BLS, it's usually the most reliable, but, you know, I think it kind of, I think it kind of spooked everybody or not spooked, but it definitely threw a curve at everyone on last Friday when it came out, but not to steal your thunder here, but break it down for us as to what's going on with these jobs reports. Because remember, the definition of the definition of a strong market is a, is a strong labor market. Uh, the definition of a softening market is you want to soften the labor force, you want to see job loss, which is what the Federal Reserve has made commentary for multiple times at the podium, especially PAL, softening labor markets, a term we keep hearing over and over and over again. 
Well, in terms of the the jobs reports, I think that the challenge with them is they are there's there's revisions every month, and okay. they do annual revisions as well. So jobs reports are always when you get the headline number, you got to wait for the revision, which usually takes thirty days. Yeah, and sometimes ninety. Prime example, really, what what helped rates as they peaked in the middle of the month is you know the Bureau of Labor Statistics did their annual revision and said, hey, we had. Uh, we need to make a downward revision of 306,000 jobs, meaning that for the year, they overstated jobs by about 25,000 a month. And that's called a benchmark revision, where they do a benchmark. And that was from April of 22 to March of 23. Correct. That was so, the year and cycle they measured. You know, and unfortunately for the for the bond market, we don't get the benefit. We we don't get the same benefit of that as if every individual report was 25,000 jobs <laughs> per month lower. It's not like the markets say, okay, well. Uh, we were twenty five thousand dollars or twenty five thousand jobs too many for each month, so we're going to correct this for the year. Yeah, let's go back to the last twelve months and make some corrections. <laughs> because the, the the headline numbers always move the markets, right. regardless of what the revisions come back later and look like. They don't have the same impact on the market. But three hundred thousand jobs, the market said, okay, well, obviously there's a little more weakness in the market than we've been led to believe. Um, but you look just the last um, just the last. Uh, I guess whatever many months, eight months, they've they've averaged a downward revision of forty six thousand jobs per month. Yeah, and revisions are normal, but not like at this level. I mean, you don't only see them miss the mark by this much. Well, no, basically, we're we're developing a trend here this year where we're about fifty thousand jobs too many every single month. Yeah, so it makes you question the validity of the the jobs reports and really how reliable that can be on a month by month. So are you suggesting that the Federal Reserve would have had a little bit more accurate data, since they're data dependent on these jobs, that they may have changed some or maybe thought differently about the policy they've instituted because they're actually seeing a softening of the market, but they didn't see it real time. They're seeing it on a revision level. You would, you would hope so. And You're I not saw, the only one that says that. You know, I way. saw that the probability of a, of a hike in September has now been reduced to 7%. See? There so... Basically, now we're we're saying it's almost a certainty that the feds are not going to raise rates in September. Well, I guess we're in September now, so this month. Uh, and I would like to think that some of that's on the heels of looking at this job data and seeing these revisions. And if I'm the Fed, I'm probably just saying, "Hey, take this ADP report offline until they figure out how to <laughs> how to make it accurate again." Because maybe ADP's, uh, you know, they they're they're basically taking their sample because they're the largest payroll provider in the country. They're basically taking their data saying, hey, this is a representative sample of the entire private employment sector. I would argue to say that maybe that's not the case based on how their numbers are, are, are reporting. It's it's pretty bad. But uh, and hopefully they listen to this podcast and maybe they can, they can shed <laughs> hopefully some Hopefully they listen to light. quite a few people that are frustrated, <laughs> such as yourself. And when I say you're not the only person saying that, what I'm trying to say is that you're in good company. There's a lot of people that feel the way that you feel about that. And you, know, you have statistically broken that down here for our audience. And these numbers will be on our YouTube channel. So if you want to check them out, go and subscribe at What's Your One More with Number One. We'll also have some graphs in there as well that won't be obviously on the audio version here but you know you've done a heck of a job here breaking down your points yo thank you so much for choosing us today we're definitely not done with our podcast but we are going to take a really short sponsor break and then we'll get right back to the show i've been in the lending business for 20 years i've seen many different lenders during those 20 years i recognized there's a difference between being an originator and an advisor and the team at bank of england is full of advisors they take their time to understand your needs. They take the time to structure a mortgage for you and your family. 
and I cannot recommend them enough. If you're in the market to purchase a home, maybe it's a second home, maybe it's an investment property, or you're looking to refinance your current property that you live in, take a minute to work with the advisors at Bank of England Mortgage. They're a nationwide lender, and you can find your local branch at boemortgage.com. www.boemortgage.com. Because it's more than loans, it's people. Thanks so much for letting us give a shout out to our sponsor. All right, now back to the podcast. I think the frustrating part is that, to your point, is we can't go back and revise the last 12 months of economic policy that's been associated with the numbers that are overestimated by 25000 on average and 50000 on average over the last eight months. That's significant. And I don't mean jobs. You could mess up your, your report by you know, 25000 estimates and still have a job. Like, that doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, no, I, and I think that what you have to realize, just, just some, some key things that I think overall the, the feds look at this job report They've got to be pleased. Um, but you look at job openings, called the, the JOLTS report. So basically, how many jobs are available? That number got over 12 million. And a lot of that was, hey, COVID happened, massive job layoffs. Uh, if you're in Florida, you're probably a little bit, uh, you you're, you're probably didn't experience that quite as much right. as some of the other areas of the country. But, but we got to 12 million job openings. And that's at the peak of this report. It, at the peak, correct. Okay. And now, as we sit today, we're at 8.8 million, which is the lowest in two and a half years. So basically, that takes us back to COVID. Um, so the job market has caught up the jobs lost from COVID. At least you would think, for the most part, the data is reflecting that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that means there's less companies hiring. So a little bit of softness in the labor labor market. There's less companies hiring, but the other tricky part about this, and this has probably been the case for a while, but the job openings in a lot of cases they're they're double posted in different cities or states, and then uh, many employers will post the same job with different titles to try to diversify the pool of applicants. If I call it this job title, do I get a different applicant than if I call it this job title? And that's probably been always been the case for at least quite some time, yeah. right? But, but the, the interesting part is this new remote work trend, I would think, has probably accelerated double postings in, in mm-hmm. different states because pre-COVID, there wasn't a lot of remote work. So if you're hiring in Jacksonville, Florida, you're going to post a job in Jacksonville, Florida. But now if I can hire remotely, am I posting that in how many Atlanta, different, how many different you know, places York, am I Washington posting that? doesn't matter where. So, you know, the job openings coming down as far as they have, that is a sign of some softness in the labor market. Yeah. Because um, you're suggesting of the 8.8 million that's being posted right now, some of those are duplicates. I would I would say that number's higher than, than it would have been historically yeah. for the reason that remote work is so much more commonplace now. Therefore, reflecting we have less openings than 8.8 million. Correct. That is a softening of the job market. Like those numbers, again, breaking down the softening of the market, we're actually seeing it happen in front of us right now. Correct. Yeah. And the other thing is, if you look at the the jobs reports of a recent, the job creations are entirely part-time jobs. We're actually seeing losses of full-time jobs. Mm-hmm. So what's happening is people are losing better jobs and taking lesser jobs. Yep. Um, which, you know, we still have, I would say we still have a relatively strong labor market. I wouldn't say that we have a, maybe a bad labor market would be negative job creations, right? Correct. So we still have a strong labor market, but that's a sign of weakness where you've got people losing better jobs and having to take jobs that are maybe inferior in pay and, and obviously in hours. 
You've also seen a trend, and it ticked up a little bit this month, but you're seeing a trend where the average hours worked per week is going down, which you know you see on these jobs reports, they go down from 34.4 hours to 34.3 hours. And that may not seem like a lot, but extrapolate that over all the jobs, that's a lot. It a, is a, a lot. A t- I mean, a tenth of an hour, two-tenths of an hour, that's a big move in. Right pay for for America as a whole. And I mean, as we get into the fourth quarter, we're going to expect to see those part-time job postings go up even more during the holiday season, Sure, right? We're going to see that happening. But what you're seeing is you're seeing the tightening of the cycle happen because part-time jobs, to your point, pay less than full-time jobs. So therefore, you're probably not going to have as much disposable income. We're seeing that in the personal savings rate as well go down. We've talked about all of this. Mm -hmm. You're starting to see this, this, this tightening of the cycle start to actually constrict and making its way down to the consumer. And, and what we can tell you is that it's taken close to about 16 months for that to happen at this level, but now it's starting to get there and it's coming in less of a trickle-down effect, more like a wave. Right. You're starting to see it happen. Well, the the reduction in hours worked generally means that empl- employers want to hold on to the good employees that they have. Mm. They don't want to fire them, so they cut right. their hours because they, they need to reduce costs to keep, to keep profitable. Um, but we also saw the labor participation rate went up considerably in this last job report, which is the sole reason that unemployment went from 35 to 3.8%, because we had positive job creations every mm-hmm. month. But you had this large influx of people entering the workforce that drove that unemployment rate up considerably. And that's a sign that inflation is taking a toll on people, right? Mm-hmm. You know, if I'm a, if I'm a one-income household, maybe but I've got two adults in the house. Maybe one of them's working. The other person's reentering the workforce, presumably because inflation is driving the cost of living up and they need to get that job. You've also got, as you see in the savings rate, you know, the, the COVID stimulus is wearing off, right? It's that, gone. That, sa- that savings is, is going away. So those people are having to go back to work. Yeah, and, and to, just to point to what Dan's talking about, we just did a whole episode right before episode 90. Listen to that one because it talks about the personal savings rate, just the cliff. It went from 33.8 to three and a half. Like I, that's bad. Yep. That's a sign of a not strong economy, by the way. Correct. And then you've also got the duration of unemployment benefits. So basically, I lose my job. I'm not finding another job as quickly. Mm-hmm. So the timeline of when people are getting another job is 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 going out considerably, meaning that quality jobs are not out there, which is reflected in part-time work being the jobs gained, full-time jobs being the jobs lost. So you're, another that's another sign of a weakening labor market. Mm-hmm. I can't find another job as quickly. And then the last thing here is, is kind of a two-part thing. So people quitting their jobs is the lowest since January of 2021. And the reason that's good for the labor market is people that job hop make more money uh, as far as annual wage growth, generally make more money than people that stay at their current job. And why do most people change jobs, right? Right. Generally, it's a money thing. So less people quitting means there's less opportunity to go from this job at this company to this job at a new company. And you also see annual wage growth for people. Switching jobs has been cut from 16% down to about 9.5%. People that stay, it's gone down from 8% to 5.9%. So wage growth is coming down, you know, maybe not as quickly as the feds would like to see, but people are... are their wages are still going up, just it's rapidly decelerating. Right. So, you know, all of those things are signs of a weakening job market. You can't say that we have a bad job market. I think that we still have a relatively good job market, mm-hmm. at least 
the way well, the numbers are still positive. They're not negative. Correct. Job creation, so, but there's a nature. lot of weakness there that we didn't see before. You know, and really, I think the bond market wants to rally. The bond market wants badly to rally, <laughs> and they're just waiting on. Give they're, us something. They're waiting please. on a reason to rally, and <laughs> right. I think that the job the job data continuing to be soft could do that. And and the other you know big big thing here is, you know, the Feds are at a pivotal point right now where they can land the plane and not create a job loss recession. So they have the ability to do that right now. And I think that not not increasing rates in September would be a good start in the right direction. But but you know, they have a real opportunity to if they do this right, maybe we see some more weakness in the labor market, but we don't see a massive job loss recession and we don't push the economy into a recession. You know, and, and one other just a couple other stats here on on the, the job market. So the Challenger report um, basically said 550,000 jobs have been cut this year, year to date. Mm-hmm. There were 180,000 all of last year. Correct. So about triple. Um, and then temp agency jobs are down each of the last seven months. And I saw that statistic the other day. Ironically, that's never happened without a recession. So it's real important to add those factors in there. And I mean, you know, we talk about like real time data things just to kind of add to a statistic. At the beginning of August, we saw NBC did their small business confidence. They surveyed 2,000 small businesses. And, the, and it's on a scale of one to one, zero to 100. It was at 42%. Like that's one of the lower levels it's been at, telling you that small business owners, which are, you know, a lot of people would argue are the backbone of this economy, they don't feel confident right now in the job market. And 75%, or excuse me, of those, the, of those surveys, 75% of the business owners said they don't plan on hiring a new job and that they're going to reduce staff. That adds to your point here about what's going on in the labor market. Well, and I think if the feds just hold serve and let the data come in, it will support all of this. Yeah. And I think that they could look at that and say, okay, we don't have to tighten anymore. This is, we're starting to see the cracks. And at some point when we see enough cracks, well, maybe we can start to reverse course because you see the softness in the labor market, you will see inflation come down. We haven't even talked about shelter costs. <laughs> They're starting to come down. That will help inflation. So really the big takeaway here is let's, as the Federal Reserve, hey, let's handle this properly while we don't have a job loss recession. We're getting what we want. Let's keep it that way where we don't have to create massive pain to bring inflation down, even if it takes a little bit longer to get to that 2% target. Yep. It's a heck of a lot better than a massive job loss recession. Well, and I'll, I'll, leave, I'll leave the audience with this note too. If the Federal Reserve's policy to tighten by raising short-term interest rates is to get inflation to 2%, right? By everything we discussed, tightening the credit cycle and to have a softening of the job market. The whole inflation itself is too much money chasing too few of goods. That's all it is. Too much money in the the system chasing too few of goods. Well, if we're not producing enough goods, those aren't expanding, right? Because our our manufacturing indexes are below 50, which means that's a restriction in the manufacturing side, not an increase in manufacturing. So we still got too much money in the system, but this is what we're seeing. These stats are showing how the consumer is feeling this, and it's actually reducing the consumer spending. But here's the one that I don't understand. Our government keeps having a deficit each year, which means they're putting more money into the system. So I ask myself, is the federal government undermining the Federal Reserve's policy every time they have a deficit and print more money, because that's a bigger issue than the consumer spending 
more money for a good that they need. The government having a deficit and not taking the real things, the real issues, which is, hey, what budgets are we going to reduce? How are we going to stop spending? What pay cuts need to happen in order to stop printing as much money as they're doing right now? Because quite honestly, that's the bigger culprit. It's not you and I and Charlie. Yeah, and the, the feds have a incredibly difficult job because the government basically says, hey, we're going to keep spending out of control. We're not going to yep. change this at all, <laughs> but you guys fix this inflation problem. <laughs> and you don't really have any resources to do that yeah. other than manipulating rates. Oh, and by the way, our constituents, you're the ones that need to, you're unfortunately feeling the impact of this. Yeah, and if you're a politician, you run on the platform of we're going to cut a lot of spending, uh, you're not going to get elected. You're not going to win. You're not going to win. <laughs> so yeah, you got to tell you got to tell Camelot what they need to hear in order to win again, <laughs> right? So hey guys, if you like what you're hearing, I know this is a long lending update. We may even break it up into two parts here. But if you like what you're hearing, please five star review this podcast. Share it with your friends. Share it with your colleagues, with your family members. Check us out on Apple. Love to hear. The, uh, love to see the comments you put on there on Spotify, Google, and Amazon. And then like we mentioned earlier on our YouTube channel and our socials at What's Your One More with Number One at What's Your One More with Number One. Dan, as always, thanks for being on the show. Daniel Halverson, Bank of Inga Mortgage. How can we find out more about you and your team over there at Bank of New Mortgage. You can uh, check us out online, boejax.com, or give us a call at 904-992-1000. We'd love to talk to you. Yeah, give them a call. They got the one-time CTP loan that's back, Hometown Heroes Funds every Tuesday. Check it out. They're on top of everything. I hear nothing but great things about the team over there at Bank of England. Dan, thanks again for being on the show. Till next time, we'll catch you guys at What's Your One More. I got one more shot, I'm gonna make it. One more chance, I'm gonna take it. And when I said it, now it's time for me to do it I got one life to live, so I put all into it, yeah